Hello and welcome to the Get French Football News preview show. There may be no to little fans attend the games this weekend in Ligue 1, but that doesn't mean the football isn't still happening. So we've got two games to chat about tonight with Amiens versus Angers and Brest versus Lille. And of course, we'll also be reviewing PSG's massive win over Borussia Dortmund in the Champions League. I'm your host, Lewis McParlin, and with me once again is Mr. Thomas Wiseman. Now, Thomas, you've been in France this last week to see your beloved Ange play for the first time, I believe, in the flesh. We're going to be discussing Lascaux and all the goings-on at the club a little bit later in the episode, but outside of the football, how was your time in the west of France? Yeah, it was lovely. Um, I'd recommend anybody going to, to either Nantes or Ange, but I prefer Ange myself. Um, lots to see, really nice people, and um, yeah, some good good stories there. I uh, will tell later. <laughs> <laughs> At least you got to see a win as well. Yeah. Uh, I also have Jeremy Smith with me today, and he was another one who's been on his holidays this week. Jeremy, come on! I hope you've been washing your hands and self isolating after your trip. Um, I only went to Wales, so I don't know if coronavirus <laughs> has made it to there. Um, they seem to be sort of 30, 40 years behind in some senses, so maybe we got a while to wait, yeah. Uh, my next guest is Mr. Clinton McDubis, and I'd like all listeners to have their own personal minute of silence for Clinton as his Valencia side were absolutely battered <laughs> by Atalanta in midweek. Ah, it was no fun at all. <laughs> it was terrible. It was a battering. I, I was really hoping that they would just cancel the game before the, the game happened. But, I mean, that didn't happen. And um, we let someone who had zero goals in the Champions League before facing us score four in our stadium. It was terrible. I, I saw terrible things. But, oh, well. <laughs> Unlucky. Yeah, I'm glad the game had been, if the game had been next week, you would have missed out on us, well. Uh, exactly. <laughs> And finally, we have Lee Davey joining us for the first half of the show as we chat all things PSG. Now, Lee, of course, um, as we'll, we'll come on to in just a second, the game was played behind closed doors because of all this bat disease stuff that's been going about. I know you go to a lot of the games. Did you have tickets for the game on Wednesday? Were you one of the people who couldn't attend the match? Yeah, I did. Uh, I had a ticket. I had flights booked, which I booked the day of the draw in December. Um so everything was in place. Um, sadly, I had to take the hit on it. So it's just one of those things, unfortunately. But uh, um, it, well, certainly my girlfriend would value my health uh, a lot more than me going to watch PSG. <laughs> so uh, I had to take the hit this week and watch it um, with my daughter, my 10-month-old daughter, uh, on my lap watching the TV. Ah, there's something nice about that as well, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Okay, let's uh, move on to that match. PSG versus Borussia Dortmund, a massive Champions League round of 16 match that happened on Wednesday. It was 2-1 to Borussia Dortmund going into this leg, but PSG managed to put in a massive performance, winning 2-0 with goals coming from Neymar and Bernat. So like we said earlier, this game was played behind closed doors. And to be honest, before we even go into the football strictly, this was played behind closed doors. Leon Juventus next week in Turin has been postponed. Matches this week in Ligue 1 are set to be played either with no fans or very few fans. The Euros has been talked about being called off. MLS has been postponed. Everything that's going on with these crazy parameters is 
really massive in the sports sense in the sporting world of Europe. But Thomas, do you think generally with, with all the health things being happening with coronavirus, do you think this is generally the right choice to start dimming down the football season? And do you think it could even get worse to the point where maybe Ligue 1 and a lot of European leagues like Serie A just completely get maybe postponed or even cut off early this season? Yeah, I think it probably is the right decision to do um, because of the, the the sort of growth and the and the spread of what is now being classed as a pandemic. Um, I think it's only only a matter of time before we see more um, postponements um, come into place. And I think it's it, I think it was originally there was limited fans to games, but I think it's now no fans to games. I can't remember if somebody correct me if that's wrong. Um, no, so, nice. yeah, yeah. So, um, it, it is obviously a, a shame for for anybody who's who's going to go to games. I was lucky. I was lucky that I went to, you know, the last game that would be uh, would be held with fans. Um, but it's a necessary steps need to be taken. Mm, absolutely. But this was this made a challenge for PSG going into this game. You know, the, the fans for for PSG have been massive for them. You've seen great presences in a lot of their away games this season. Um, for instance, in recent years away to Liverpool, and obviously, obviously in the first leg away to Borussia Dortmund, and they're big cattles for them, and it, and it gives them a lot of support. So playing in an empty stadium without that support, Lee, that must have been you know it. it definitely says something that they managed to overcome that without the the home support that obviously Dortmund had the advantage of in the home leg. Yeah, definitely. Um, I came on here a few weeks ago, didn't I? I spoke to you guys just after the um, the first leg and I said then I didn't know why. I didn't have a theory behind it, but I expected PSG to go through. Some of that was behind, just because I just felt that the crowd might be able to pull them, just get them over the line. Um so when obviously the decision was made to play this behind closed doors, it, I didn't kind of know how the players would react to it. Whether they would, you know, the, whether the pressure uh, would be released on them a little bit, um, whether it would favour Dortmund, not having you know fifty thousand Parisians be you know behind PSG pushing them uh, along. It, it, it's so hard to predict how this is going to go. Um, but I thought that the players. Produced, and I thought that they played a really good game, um, and you know I think I think it helped having the fans outside the stadium, and you could clearly hear it on the TV, the atmosphere from outside the stadium, and you could hear all the fireworks and and all sorts going off, and it was pretty clear, you know, um, even coming to the stadium the, the, when the bus pulled up and you see all the flares and all the fans whacking the bus and you know I think it really G'd the players up and you know really got them fired up for the game um, so whether that had a direct impact I don't know I think listen PSG played a great game and you know I was really pleased with the performance on the, on the whole under really strange circumstances and uh, listen we're all big football fans nobody likes to see football played in an empty stadium but um, I think PSG did what they had to do on the night and um, really pleased to see them go through. And with all the challenges that were put in front of PSG, of course, without their fans and going up against a great outfit in British Dortmund, 
they still managed to come out victorious, so that must say a lot for that. You know, Jeremy, they've had their critics in Europe. This is their first quarterfinals, or or going to be their first quarterfinals since 2016, and they played against a very strong team in Borussia Dortmund without fans, but still managed to win. That that must say a lot about this this PSG side that you know, even though they have their critics, they still managed to band together and overcome the challenge that they had. Yeah, definitely. I think you know, I don't think anyone would ever dispute that on paper and when they feel sort of up for it, they're a fantastic team. The frustration has always been that um, for whatever reason, injuries play a part, but I think ill-discipline and arrogance and various other things at times as well, um, as well as that sort of mental albatross that's kind of developed over the last two or three years, um, for whatever, whatever reason, they've always had this block. And maybe in this case, it was kind of an advantage for them that they had something to chase rather, you know, a deficit to, to make up rather than a lead to defend. Um, possibly that that was something to do with it. Um, but they were, they well, frankly, they just outplayed Dortmund yesterday. Um, and I thought what was good to see was that in, in some cases, um, I'm mainly thinking about Gay, it was a sort of transformed performance. It wasn't necessarily a change of personnel. It was that certain players, Di Maria as well, actually, to be fair, um, turned up where they really struggled two, three weeks ago. Um, and just all the way through the team, I thought, you know, every, every line, midfield, defence, attack, they all played well. And I thought it was interesting that, that Cavani played. And I think, as we know, he always does. He set a tone from, you know, pressing right from the front, being the first defender. Even Neymar sort of got caught up in it and, and actually did a little bit of defending. And in a, in a way, possibly it was a blessing in disguise that that Mbappe was um, was ill in the lead up to the game and didn't start because I think that often, even at times in Ligue 1, I think often that the problem is that when you've got Neymar and Mbappe in the team and neither of them show any inclination to, to help out their defence, that sometimes is their undoing. So I think Cavani set a big tone there. And I know it might be controversial to say, but I think it was really telling that this was result was achieved without Thiago Silva or Verratti um, they're, you know, they're, they're probably the longest-serving serial losers of PSG in, in the Champions League context. And I think Marquinhos and, and Kimpembe, the way they sort of defended aggressively pushing forward rather than Thiago Silva, who in second legs of European ties usually is kind of dropping further and further back as, as the match goes on. I think that that sort of really set the tone for the match. And Verratti, again, just a fantastic player, but his complete lack of discipline has has undone him and the team so often. And I don't think he... I thought he would be, but I don't think he was missed yesterday either. Um, I'd, I'd be very surprised if Silva's still there next year. But frankly, I'd think about getting rid of Verratti as well. However popular he is with the, with the fans and however good a player he is, I I think his time's up for PSG. I think it would be a, a sort of a positive sign of the of the whole team looking to kind of move on and start a new phase if they were to to sell him as well. Lee, what do you think about that uh, in terms of Verratti? Do you think the performance yesterday showed that they can still do it without the Italian? I know a lot of 
fans still think key part of their midfield. But do you think there's some truth in what Jeremy's saying? Maybe he's not 100% necessary all the time? I think pretty much what Jeremy said is something that I, I've spoken to my uh, my close friends who uh, who attend some of the games with. Uh, pretty much Jeremy's hit, Jeremy's hit the nail on the head in terms of his thoughts about Kim, Kim Pembe um, and uh, Marquinhos at the back. It takes you back to that Barcelona, that first leg, that 4-0, where they two, them two were the two um, central defensive pairing and they were colossal that night. And Thiago Silva comes back in in the second leg and everything falls away. Um Again, as Jeremy said, in terms of the, you know, Verratti and, and, and Thiago Silva being serial losers, um, it was it was evident that the last couple of years, you've seen a weakness within them in these moments. Like they're still visibly scarred from Barcelona, um, being pretty much the spine of the team, the two of those players. So they're, they're still scarred from those. Uh, so that night in the new Camp, um, not having them was an absolute blessing in disguise. And I think PSG fans have mentioned that certainly uh, over the last couple of weeks when Thiago Silva got injured, that it actually wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if he didn't play. Um, again, completely concur with the whole Verratti situation where he's just not learning any lessons. He's, what, 27 now? And he's still making the same foolish, silly mistakes, giving away silly situations, Um and his booking in Dortmund just kind of summed it up. Um, you know, he's, he's back chatting to the ref, getting he, when he knows he's, he's a yellow card away from being suspended for a second leg. He's still making those silly schoolboy errors. And yeah, he wasn't missed last night. I think that PSG controlled the midfield. I think Idris Agane Gay, which was fantastic. He was everywhere. He put his body on the line. He made tackles. He was positionally, he was excellent. He started attacks. He was, he was excellent. He really, really was. But we've not seen enough of that from him this season. Now, as for Verratti, I don't know what the future of Verratti is. I've, I've said a couple of years ago, there was a period where PSG were constantly renewing his contract every year. Um, and that's kind of slowed down a little bit now. It almost feels as though he's become stale. I mean, don't get me wrong, he's a great player. He's an excellent player. But it almost feels as though it needs to be a regeneration of that midfield now, that midfield that, that played in, in Barcelona and I think he's pretty much the sole survivor of that now. Uh, and in these situations, it really is telling um, that he was there that night. He's still, there's still elements of, of poor play, of, 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 of fear in situations like this. So again, I completely agree. If, if Ratti was to go, I think PSG could command a decent fee for him. But he's one of those players that I actually think could be, could be eased quite easily if recruitment is done properly, replaced. And you talk about a, a, maybe a revival of the midfield or new players being brought in. Do you see Leandro Paredes still having a future at, at PSG? You know, he's been a player that's been criticised a lot of times since since joining, but he played last night uh, with Marquinhos going to the going to centre-back, playing beside Ganagay, but he was still a big part of that 2-0 win. Do you think he can still kind of kick his career on yet and, and become a future of the club? Or do you think he's still at risk of, of leaving that a lot of fans were saying, oh, we might just have to cut our losses with him because he's not actually impressed as much as we thought he would? I think a lot of that for me will depend on if Thomas Tuchel is there next season, which I highly doubt he will be there next season as coach. Um, I'm not sure if Tuchel particularly fancies him, um, being honest. And um, I, th- I think, I think it, was, it was Antero Enrique 
who kind of brokered the deal, really. Um, but I'm not sure he was a Thomas Tuchel uh, signing or he had any kind of wish to sign him uh, from Zenit uh, back in uh, January 2019. Um, for me, he's to deceive. He's not been... Okay, he's not had too many chances in that midfield, but when he has played, he hasn't really taken those opportunities. Now, when he has played recently, um, he's he's done okay. He's done he's done an all right job. He's not done anything outstanding. He's for me, he hasn't got enough. And you know, if we were to lose Verratti or you know Drissigan Gay is what he's thirty thirty one now. Um, for me, he wouldn't be a direct replacement. He's, he's a squad player at best. Um, if he was to leave, if he was to go, I don't think he'd be missed. Um, but, you know, we'll see what the future holds for him. Uh, I'm not a huge fan. I don't think he brings anything exciting to the team. I don't, he, he does an okay job when he comes in, but he doesn't, he doesn't offer anything, you know, anything fantastic for the side. Um, give or take, we could, we could, you know, PSG could live without him, put it that way, but they also could replace him with someone a lot better. Mm. And with them going into their first quarterfinals since 2016, what do you think this one means for the club in a general sense? Uh, like we said earlier, that whole mental block that's happened with the Champions League recently, do you think this is gone a, a, a big way to, to wiping that from the memories of the PSG players to think they'll just be thinking okay that was a couple of years ago now with, with Barcelona and Remontada and whatnot there's a lot of new players that have come in since then do you think they'll be saying no this is our challenge now this is our team you know we're going to approach it in our way we're not going to let mm. the history kind of cloud our thoughts what do you think about that going into obviously we don't know the opponent yet but um, we know it's going to be a good one going into yeah. the last yeah. stages of the Champions League you'd like to think so I think that um, the celebrations at the end would tell you all you needed to know there's been three years of frustration a lot of frustration um, from a fan perspective I was there in the new Camp that night I was in Madrid and I was at the both legs of Manchester uh, United last season and when the final whistle went last night, I just literally sat there and just breathed a huge sigh of relief because it was a hurdle they just needed to get over. Um, those three years of heartaches were, were, were tough to take, really tough. Now, not just for the fans, but for the players as well, because let's be honest, they've been the butt of all the jokes. Um, and they brought them on themselves. They've found silly ways of falling out of this competition and, you know, spectacular ways of embarrassing themselves at times. And some of it was, was deserved. But they've been the butt of all the jokes. And I think that was their way of getting, you know, their, the reactions, the way they celebrated together. And some of the celebrations were ridiculous, but that's another story. Um, but yeah, I think that, I think that a, a lot of relief, a lot of, yeah, I, I, there was just so much riding on this. It was, you know, they, it would have impacted the future of the coach, impacted the future of certain players at the club. And um, I'm just glad that the players have come through. Now they've got to look at this and say, right, okay, they've celebrated, they've had fun. You know, last night and late into the night with the fans, and you know, probably got a little bit carried away with some of the social media activity. And but now it's time to refocus because this club has done nothing. 
okay, with the money that's been ploughed into this club, you know, let, let's let's just get things into perspective. Great, you you've, you you jumped over the, a really difficult hurdle, but there's a long, long way to go. And, and as you quite rightly said, there's some big teams left in this competition still. So, is there an opportunity to advance further? Absolutely, there is, and we don't know what's going to happen or when these games are going to be played. But PSG are in the quarterfinals, and you know, and and I think from there, hopefully, this team can build, keep the players fit, keep the players hungry. Um, it looks like we're going to have a break from the Champions League for a period of time, so you know that there could be lots of repercussions or you know a situation that uh, that could occur um, in regards to that, but. I think that hopefully now the players can start to believe a little bit that, you know, there's a potential semi-final awaiting them. Mm. Lee's slightly alluded to it there, but Clinton, what do you think of all this Erling Haaland stuff that was happening? It, for those that don't know, uh, when Haaland scored the one of his goal against PSG in the first leg, he kind of did like a, almost like a, what we call like a meditating celebration. Uh, and then that was just taken and completely spawned out of proportion by the PSG players after they'd uh, won the home leg with Neymar doing social media posts of this celebration and the whole team doing it in the dressing room, on the pitch, mocking Erling Haaland, who's still 19 years old, you have to remember. Clinton, what do you think of all this? Do you think it's unclassy, immature, or do you think it's kind of getting blown out of proportion and it's just guys celebrating and all footballers are just kind of like that when you think about it? <laughs> yeah, I, I think that um, it's being blown out of Portion actually, because um, firstly, I don't think they were specifically trolling Haaland. I think they were trolling the entire um, Borussia Dortmund um, club as a club because um, after the the first leg, Borussia Dortmund were quite loud about it. And if you check, most of their posts then were of that Haaland celebration, trolling PSG one way or the other. They they presented the results in French. Et voilà. And um, yesterday, PSG responded with um, Wunderteam or Wunderball or something in German you know, to, to like throw them back. Uh, the celebration wasn't, the, the, the um, response wasn't specifically about Haaland. It was more about the way Dortmund, um, you know, acted after the first leg. And um, Kimpembe actually talked about it um, in his post-match interview where he was saying that they were very disrespectful after the first leg. They they were so disrespectful, so loud, and the players saw it and they were very, very affected by it and spoiled on by it as well. And they wanted to really come into the game with so much aggression because of it and just make them pay. I think that's kind of what the sport is about. Um, I'm going to use an example. I remember when um, my club played, played against Getafe last year, um, the we're playing a Copa del Rey quarterfinal in Spain. And the first leg, they scored. And the assistant manager, one of the assistants, went to the front of our coach and was making a crybaby celebration because we had been complaining about fouls that they were making. They made a crybaby celebration and then they milked it, kind of. And then they went on and on about it after the game and all of that. So when they came back to play us again, we knocked them out in the dying seconds of the game, dying minutes of the game. And the player who scored the hat-trick for us, Shujigo, he made the, the same crybaby celebration. And everywhere just went um, everywhere just went crazy because of that. So, um, But it was it, it's the nature of the sport. It's competitive. If you're going to troll and make so much noise, you have to be able to walk the talk. 
And I mean, we, we saw it, we kind of saw this last year when PSG um, won the first leg against Manchester United and Di Maria did that um, beer drinking thing and all of that. I mean, the PSG players were pretty smug after that game and Manchester United responded by walking their own talk and knocking them out in Paris. And um, I mean, Di Maria got a lot of stick on social media. Manchester United fans came for him. They also came for Mbappe as well. Mbappe was 20 last year. And, you know, they all came for him. Mbappe had to apologize to the fans with Kimpembe with tears in his eyes and all that. And I mean, Manchester United, the entire Manchester United family, in fact, the entire Twitter trolled him for it. And it was all in the spirit of the sport. You, you, you. If you are going to, you know, be smug and all of that, then you have to be ready for the reaction when you don't win. If you are going to do a celebration like that, you know, against a team like that, then you have to be ready to, uh, you know, handle it. If you are not going to walk the talk, so obviously, um, I know how it looked. Oh, it's a, it's a 19-year-old and everything. But I think that Haaland should see it as a compliment because if a team is reacting that like that to you, your celebration, your club, and all of that, and all that you put in the first leg. And it means that you actually rattled them with what you did in the first leg. So they had to respond, and they responded, of course. And I, I feel it's a compliment. He needs to, um, on from Haaland's perspective, you should take it in stride and see it as something that you know needs to inspire him. Remember many years ago, Cristiano Ronaldo went through that as a 20, 21-year-old. He went through things like that. A lot of that, and it spurred him on to react. And then even at the FIFA ceremony where they took the second, second place um, uh, award from him and gave it to Messi, he responded by coming back the next year stronger, coming to you know become the world best player. So I think that um, someone like Haaland has that kind of mentality, or he has shown that kind of mentality from what I've seen of him so far. I think he's going to take it. I, I, he has not complained about it so far, and I I don't think he will. So he's going to take it in stride and you know, come back a stronger, better player. And as for the PSG players, I think they were just really relieved that they won that game. They were just really relieved. Okay, quickly, just before you jump off, what do you think uh, PSG's chances are of going the whole way and winning it now? Obviously, the whole the whole possibility of the Champions League is up in the air now with everything that's going on. So we don't know if it'll be a final, when it'll be. That doesn't matter. Let's say there's a cure tomorrow. Do you think they've still got a big chance of going on and winning the whole competition? Yeah, um, oh, I'd, I'd love to say yes. Of course I would. Um, I've always said when it comes to Champions League, so much, so much depends on the draw. It depends who you get. It depends. You know, I think the bit. Look, there's some big teams that are, are going to go out. Some really difficult teams that are going to go out. You know, look, Real Madrid look like they're going to go out. Um, Liverpool, they're gone. Tottenham got to the final last year. They're gone. Not they're not the same team. You know, there is. There's some, there's some big teams left in it. And can PSG get to a final and win it? Of course they can. Absolutely. Will they? I don't think so. And that's my honest opinion. I don't think I don't think that would happen. Could they reach the semi-final? Yes, that would be progress. That would be progress. Absolutely, of course it would. But I think just when, with the upheaval and everything that's happening in football um, at the moment, um, will be probably their best chance of going all the way would be this year. Um, it looks like one or two teams are not at their best. Look at the likes of Barcelona, for example. They can be beaten. They they look beatable. So it's an interesting one. Um, I think it's hard to 
kind of predict anything at the moment just with obviously the the situation around the world and what's happening and how it's affecting certainly from a football perspective how it's affecting everything and everyone um but i think psg fans should be quietly confident and uh, we'll see where the where the next round takes us but it's just great to be in the hat for now i think i think that's the most important thing is to get over that hoodoo that round of 16 hoodoo get through to the quarterfinals and Let's see what we can do from here. And of course, it's important that those players, those key players, Neymar, the reason why he was bought was for nights like last night. Is to get, you know, he wasn't fantastic last night, but hey, he made an impact. He scored the goal in the, in the away goal and he scored again last night. So for him, to keep him and Mbappe and some of the key players fit is, is absolutely key optimistic positive i like it i do like it uh okay lee i understand you've got to jump off but thank yes. you very much for coming on no, again thank you very much for having me I appreciate it okay we'll see you in whenever that uh, quarter final comes about <laughs> cheers thank you okay and let's move on to some of our league and previews for this weekend like we mentioned earlier uh, thomas you were at the onji game last week they beat nantes 2-0 in the derby, how was the experience on the pitch? What, what, how, how did the team play? What was it like in the stadium in a, in a big French derby? Yeah, it was it was great. Um, it was packed out stadium. Um, it was good good support from everybody and and the team uh, took took a while to to get going. First half was was fairly poor, well not poor, but it was just a dull performance. Um, but second half they they came out and sort of dominated the first 15 minutes of the game, scored two and and sort of, uh, sort of lifted the foot off the gas and and then towards the end controlled the game and not really couldn't do uh, couldn't do much about it. It was a good performance and it was good to see. Um, it, it was strange because Mulan doesn't really take many risks. But um, I was walking up to the stadium and I saw the lineup and it was uh, a young, uh, one of our youth youth players, Ud Khaled. Um, was actually starting his first ever first ever league on game. He's only ever played a, a cup game in the in the first squad, um, and he actually, he actually got knocked out. He knocked out about I think it was five minutes before half time, um, and I think he broke his nose. And he said he all he can remember was uh, Butel coming along and, and giving him a smack around the cheek. Um, so he's taken off, and he 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 was uh, adamant he wanted to get back on the pitch, and he he played. I think he played about. A, uh, up to the the hour hour mark, and it was a great performance by him. He was comfortable and uh, composing the ball. Struggled sometimes with the the physicality, some of the aerial duels he was competing in. Um, but it was a comfortable performance from him, and, and uh, another good uh, Ange youth player to watch out for. He's tall as hell, by the way. I've yeah, six yeah, foot he's, three. He's, yeah, he's a pretty slim lad, so he'll he'll bunk out hopefully eventually. It's like slender man in midfield. Um, <laughs> <laughs> who was the most impressive scene? Was this your first Onji match? I don't want to make that wrong. Yeah, yeah. So it was your first. Who was the most impressive in the flesh? Was it Santa Maria? Because yeah. a lot of the time when um, you watch games on TV, they just follow the ball, follow the ball, follow the ball, and you don't see you know, the runners that are coming or the right back at times and stuff. So yeah, so who, who was the best to see in the flesh? Uh, I think it's one of them games where I actually couldn't really criticise any Andre players, which is... A shame. Sometimes glad to do that, um, but it was it was uh, it was Santa Maria. It was just you could see how how much he affects the game. That a lot of the moves just sort of had to pass through him. Um, he was really great under pressure. 
uh, and he, just just him sort of marauding forward and, and getting the ball through um, and, and shielding that defence and just breaking up breaking up play. You could see because he, at previous seasons he was he was a very good um, sort of destroyer and, and very good shield and awareness um, of when to cover his defence but in the past year or so he's now become such a, an adept passer of the ball and and he's really turning something something great and it'll, it'll definitely his last year but yeah it was great to see him in the flesh and he had a, he had a pretty monstrous performance mm. and Andre were not in the best run over February and whatnot but they've now won three games on the trot do you think this is just building towards a really strong finish to the season for Andre you know they sit 10th at the moment, but do you think they can maybe push into the top eight, top six? A lot of that's that uh, middle portion of the league still very tight, you have to remember. Yeah, I mean, I would have said that before <laughs> a couple of days ago um, because they've got Toulouse and I've uh, got Amiens and, and Toulouse next, um, which is pretty easy, pretty easy running to be fair. Um, but uh, top off finish, I'll be, I'll be very happy with. Um, but recent uh, news and an activity at the club uh, puts a lot of supporters into not worry for relegation, but just worry uh, in the in the medium term, long term. Mm. So you just alluded to it there. I know you and Jeremy were talking about it just before we started recording. What's what's happening? What's what's been going on at Onji over the last few days? I feel like it's just gone from zero to a hundred <laughs> real quick for for people that don't follow them on an everyday basis. Yeah, so um, a bit of context for this. So the uh, president, uh, Shaban, has, um, was put into police custody uh, about a month or so back. Uh, there was some allegations of sexual assault against current and former employees. Um, and the investigation is still ongoing. And so on uh, Monday, um, he announced um, the appointment of a new uh, deputy president. I think he's... I think his name's Babetto Bon or something like that. Um, I think he's previously worked as a marketing director at PSG. Uh, it was at Le Mans for a while. Um, so I think the Shaban was trying to step back from his sort of role um, a little more. Uh, and then the next day, um, that was actually my birthday the next day, so it was not a great birthday present. Um, they uh, announced that um, the sporting director, uh, Olivia Piku, um, has been dismissed by the club. Um, and it was a pretty big shock to to everybody, um, all the supporters, um, because this is this. I mean, Piku's been there for 15 years. Um, he originally joined when they were in the third tier, and from very little resources, he's he's been one of the components that have built the club and the sporting policy into what into what it is today. Um, there's a lot of questions yet to be answered um, by uh, by the club but the the main uh, theory is that uh, it's been known for quite a while that Shaban and Piku haven't really got along and there's a lot of different elements and parties within the club that are sort of um, conflicting um, sometimes over recruitment in the past um, and other about sporting policy one of them was, was the the um, Renault transfer uh, was a recent one that that sort of caused um, a lot of arguments and, and fractures within the within the relationships at the club. 
and Shaban has, has decided. I mean, apparently he didn't even actually tell Piku. He got his new guy on his first day to go and <laughs> go and tell him to his face. Um, Shaban <laughs> didn't actually do that, which is uh, a little bit coward living. But uh, yeah, and and they went into the um, the dressing room, told the players who were shocked and, and pretty angry because uh, Piku is loved by quite a lot of the the, uh, the people at the club. Um, he was actually close with some of the staff that, that have uh, made these allegations against Shaban. Um, so he's probably supporting them. And um, and then Mulong uh, tried to make a speech to the players after the announcement, but he struggled to finish it because he was a little bit emotional. I mean, you've got to think about this, that, that Mulong's worked alongside Piku for, for the whole time he's been back at, back at Angers. And for just such a sudden um, sort of you know, sudden event that's to wipe this 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 colleague out um, is must be must be a tough 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 blow to everybody, especially people like uh, like Mulan. So there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of concern of of what's going to happen next. Um, but it looks like it's been been coming for some time. Um, Piku is, I mean, there was a uh, Roman Molina has done a, a really good video on Angers, and there's you know a lot of um, stuff that's that's gone on there and, and Piku's not as clean as there's uh, him and his media friends would would help you think um but yeah it's it's uh, pretty crazy times and and we'll have to see but going to this game I, I have no idea how they how they react to this um it could go one way it could go the other yeah I've seen a lot of said about this Piku situation and, and people saying you know his 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 dealings or his work hasn't been as clean as clean as people say. You don't need to go into too much detail. But what do people mean by that? Do they mean like with with the transfers that have been done? There's been a little bit of jiggery pokery under the table or something like that. Yeah. Um, so I think one a, a good example is um, a recent uh, player that's come in, uh, Daniel Petkovic. He's come from Lorient, um, where he wasn't a good keeper. Um, so for some reason, Andre signed him. And his agent is also the agent of another player, Andre Pavlovich, and is apparently a, a good friend of Piku. So uh, make your mind up what what you think of that. Um, there's lots of other, other other stuff that's mentioned um, to do with agents and, and transfers. Um, but uh, yeah, I'd, uh, I'd take a look at that YouTube video by uh, Roman Molina. It does explain a lot more. But there's a lot of unanswered questions, a lot of um, a lot of stuff going on. We've been moving parts within the next couple of weeks, so I'll have to see uh, what happens. What happens to the club? My only, I think, mean, it just seems like Mulan's just caught <laughs> caught up in the middle of it. So, you know, <laughs> and he, he obviously won't forget that that Shaban was, you know, he renewed his contract um, when we were we were struggling um, quite a few years ago, and you know, he he's always revered the the stability that the the club has given him. So maybe, I mean. My, my worry is, is maybe he'll he'll reconsider uh, his position, but we'll have to see. Um, but uh, going to this game, it's not not the best preparation. Jeremy, there's a, a lot to unpack there with everything that's going on. But do you think this could have like a seismic effect on on Jay? You know, I feel for years they've been seen as as the the team of stability. You know, with them with with Piku and Mulan being there for so many years, and a lot of the backroom staff being there for a long time, and and their model of bringing on players and signing them has has worked so well in the last few years. Do you think this could be a real 
a real hammer in the works with them and, and it could affect their performances on the pitch for the next few years if Piku isn't there pulling the strings in their transfer department. Yeah, I think it could well do. I think you, you look at um, a few recent cases in Ligue 1, you can see how important the, the sporting director is. Obviously, since Monaco haven't had one, they've been a mess since that sporting director moved to Lille. Lille have been a real success. Um, Letton, who's probably got a few similarities with Pica, has you know, just left Rennes and it remains to be seen what effect that will have. But certainly he's done a fantastic job since he's been there and really changed the face of Rennes from sort of a, a slightly amateurish club that's gen- generally happy with sort of mid-table finishes to, to one that's now... You know, one last year's Coupe de France and is now challenging for for Champions League place. So, the sporting directors are important, and um, Thomas and I have spoken about it previously after the the Molina video. And I sort of some of the stuff that that seems to go on with agents and things. I mean, none of it seems that surprising. It's kind of it all feels like the stuff that probably happens in most clubs um, as as sort of unsavory as it might be. And, um, you know, I'm not saying you should turn a blind eye to, to dodgy stuff that's going on, but um, certainly in the case of Pico, you've got to think that for Angers, the the football club, he's done a hell of a lot more good than bad over the years. And, um, yeah, that it's a concern that, that, first of all, you know, are they going to be able to bring someone in who's, who's able to do such a good job? And secondly, as, as as Thomas alluded to, if the players and Moulin are sort of so closely associated associated with him or supporters of his, um, you know, could 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 some of them walk? Um, could could Moulin think, you know, I, I don't want to be, I don't want to be part of this project without without Pika there? So yeah, I think that medium and long term implications. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. It was it was good you mentioned that, but um, there was uh, it, it seems like there's something in PQ contract that that he gets five percent of any transfers, which already sounds dodgy. Um, <laughs> but it, it doesn't seem like there's actually been any complaints of that, or people have been against that. He, he seems like he's very uh, respected and 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 loved within the club. And example about his relationship with the player, somewhere I was speaking to. A fan in Angers that, and it was a it was a good example was was that um, I'll give you two actually. So one was uh, in the, the we had a friendly against Arsenal in the summer, and uh, after the game, uh, Piku and, and Santa Maria were standing in the middle of the pitch, and nobody else was there, and um, somebody had a, a little little too many to drink, um, and they ran onto the into the middle of the pitch, and um, started. Started sort of going, oh, Santa Maria, I love you so much. Uh, please stay. And, and Piku was uh, at first, they were both at first quite startled. And then Piku said, oh, actually, we were talking about um, him staying at the club. What do you think about it? And he, he sort of gets his fan to explain, oh, I love you so much. Please stay. You're, you're great for our club. And and Piku sort of said to Santa Maria, yeah, see, look, that's what one of, the, one of the fans says. And this guy just sort of walked back off the pitch and didn't get uh, taken by the security guards. Um, and it, his relationships with supporters, uh, is it looks like it's a positive one. I mean, everybody is basically against Shaban for this decision. Um, and there was a good story that this this guy also told is that the the complex where 
um, the copper is. Um, it's quite open, so you can just drive up and, and have a look around and you see people walking past. Uh, and apparently, at one time, he, he drove up and he saw Pika walking past on his day. This is a random fan. And he, he goes up to him and starts talking. And they have a, about an hour conversation, have a nice, a nice coffee, talking about talking about his project for the club, his policy, just to a random a random fan that stops him in the middle of the day and they give him it gives them, you know, um time to, to speak with him. So it's a very strange story. You wouldn't really hear that um with a lot of other clubs, but it just shows his his influence. Um but it's not all him. Definitely there's people in the background um in the past with recruitment. Uh Axel Lablatinaire um was at the club for eight or nine years. Uh, and he was he was instrumental in in bringing in the players like uh, Akombi and and he pushed hard to get to get uh, Renato laid. Um, so there's a lot of other people in the background. And Lovato has actually left. He he was not um, particularly liked by some people in the club and fell out with some people. So yeah, there's a lot of uh, different moving moving pieces. So we'll have to see how it works out. Andre are a strange, strange club, but I love it so much. It's just so personal. It reminds me a lot of Hamilton, just how just that kind of absolute shambles off the pitch, but we somehow managed to stay up every year. Obviously, Andrew doing a bit better than Hamilton now, but it just kind of reminds me of it. It's hilarious. Uh, okay, let's move on to Amion in this game. Amion are still second from bottom in Ligue 1, but they've only actually lost two of their last seven five draws coming in there Clinton in the last few weeks they've had a 2-2 draw against Marseille they've had a 4-4 draw against PSG so it does show that there's quality there but why can't they just replicate that on, on a regular basis well um, I think that they are one of those sides that probably turn up when they are playing against teams that are better than them because maybe the approach of those bigger teams it's kind of um, it kind of plays into their hands or something. They are pretty dangerous. They're a team that I generally expect to give big teams trouble every time. I don't know for some reason I just expect them to give big teams trouble. But when they are playing against teams that are around their level, it's almost like um, it, it now becomes difficult because um, those teams don't approach games like big teams do. So those probably their strengths are not um, they're not able to use their strengths effectively against such a position. So I think that's probably their problem. Um, when they play against bigger teams, there's there's a tendency for those teams to play into their hands, so they they are able to look more dangerous. But when they play against teams around their level, everyone is kind of careful, you know. Those other teams are fighting for their lives as well, so obviously they are going to um, be more careful, more cautious. They won't throw. They won't expect to just waltz in and win or just attack and attack and attack all the time. So perhaps that makes it more difficult for Amion to really take them apart. So I think that's probably their problem. They actually are a, a pretty good team on their day, but um, in those games against teams around their level, just seems like they, they lack that extra bit that should take them above those teams. And I know a lot's been said from Amion fans about the manager, Luca Elsner, in recent weeks, you know, after some of the less desirable 
results. They've been asking them to potentially leave. I have to say, it's not been as overwhelming a message as I expected for a team sitting second from bottom. But do you think he's still the the right man to take them forward? Do you think completely just throwing caution to the wind and, and selecting a new man like Toulouse have done or Gang Up did last season? Do you think that that wouldn't be the right course to take? Do you think they are, it's admirable that they're sticking with the man they appointed at the start of the season? Well, um, I think um, they're making the right decision. I don't think um, tearing everything up now um, would really help because there's every tendency. I mean, it's 10 games left. There's every tendency that um, things will just get worse with a new manager who has to adapt to the squad, has to get to know his players and all of that. So um, I think they're making the right decision sticking with him. And even if they get relegated, I think they should stick with him he um to be and trust him to be to be the guy to bring them back up but um it's going to be hard to escape relegation at this point that they're, they're, but they are just four points off name so um i think there's still a possibility that they can get out so i think it's best for them to stick with the manager that knows the squad already and that has been there all season i mean they've seen signs that this team is capable of being you know better than what the table reflects so um I think it's it's a good decision sticking with him. Okay, and let's get all your score predictions for this game. It's the Battle of the Ace, Amion versus Onji. Amion in 19th, Onji in 10th. This game will be played at the Stade de la Licorne in Amion. And I want your score predictions. Thomas, I'll start with you. How, how do you see this one finishing? I have no idea. Um, I really don't know how the... Andre players come into this. Uh, Amion still have something to fight for, and you can see the last last few matches they've they've, they've fought pretty hard for it. Um, especially the, obviously the recent Marseille uh, Marseille draw. Um, but I don't. I just have no idea how Andre reacts to this. So uh, it should be easy. It's Amion, right? I'm going to go with a a one all draw because I've just not got a clue. <laughs> uh, Jeremy, how do you see it ending? Um, I'm also not sure, but I, I don't know why. I've got a sneaky feeling that um, Amya could could maybe get something out of this. I'm going to go 2-1 Amya. And in the spirit of fairness, I also fully expect Toulouse to beat Mess, which I'm just being standard. <laughs> <laughs> of course it's going to happen. Uh, and Clinton, how do you see it finishing? I think it's it's a either end one one or one zero to Amir. Sorry, sorry, Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> so I would be nice. I don't know. I, I, I know what you mean. I think. I know what you mean. I, th- I think Andre will go into it with a weird mindset. You know, after everything that's happened, uh, and Amir do have a lot to fight for. They've got a lot to fight for. It's getting it's getting to crunch time, my boys. I'm gonna back. Amion. I'm I'm going to say them to win 2-1. I don't think they'll keep a clean sheet. Look, Elsner can't keep a clean sheet to save his life, but he can get some good attack and play going at times with Mendoza and whatnot up front and uh, Garassi and, and Kanati sometimes. So I'm, I'm going to back a 2-1 win for Amion, but the last, I've, said that the last so many, time, I've said that so many times. The last time something like this happened at Angers after the Adelaide transfer, we lost 6-0 to Leon. so... <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to, uh, I'm not going to say we're going to lose 6-0 to Amion but um, <laughs> this point performance could be on the cards Gil Kakuta hat-trick painting <laughs> <laughs> Let's... just to ruin the whole podcast by the way alright oh. um, 
the LFP are meeting tomorrow morning to decide whether or not to um, suspend Liga and Ligue 2. And the oh. FSF just announced that they're suspending all football in, in France at sort of lower levels. And RMC are reporting that the LFP are definitely going to cancel it starting <laughs> this weekend. So there's not really any point doing predictions, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> just said at the end, Jess. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll carry let's, on. <laughs> let's just end the podcast here. <laughs> okay, we'll. But it's not we'll definite do, yet, so we're not definite yet. Yeah. Let, okay, let, let's go in the optimistic way. We'll we'll do Brest and Lille some justice uh, coming into this game. Although it probably probably won't go on. To be honest, I'd be completely surprised if it did go on after everything that's happened. Uh, okay. Brest versus Lille. Uh, firstly, let's start on the home side. Brest are, are one of two promoted teams, obviously, that came up uh, this season. Jeremy, what's been your verdict of them so far? You know, I don't feel like the promoted teams have had as much of an effect on the league as they did last season with Nîmes and Ramps, where they really got to like mid-table, whereas Brest and Mets have kind of just sat above the relegation zone for much of it. What's been your verdict of them so far? Um, I think they've done they've done a really good job, and whereas Mets sort of in twenty twenty have had a very good run, so they've um, they've kind of they're now sort of sitting kind of mid table. I'm sort of hopefully trying trying to convince myself. Brest actually, for it feels like for a lot of the season they haven't even had that many relegation worries, and I think I know that they they just coming off the back of a couple of defeats. So they need to be careful that they don't sort of slip a little bit further down. But generally, I think they've done really well. They've got, I think, a a sort of nice settled team. They've got, obviously, in last summer, one of of the um, the top goalkeepers in in Ligue 1, I think one that a lot of people are tipping to be a future um, France international they they made some clever signings in the summer. I think Perro was a really good signing as a, as a fullback, um, and then um, midfield like Diallo. I think is is going to be very in demand in the summer. He's having a very good season. Cool as well. So I think they've got a, a sort of nice blend of kind of league as stalwarts, some real talents as well. Um, they've got. A few strikers, none of whom are kind of prolific, but you can sort of rely on them to get a few goals. Charbonnier has been a little bit disappointing considering how great he was in, in Ligue 2 last year. But Cardinal, who a lot of people, um, when he was at Monaco, were expecting to be the next big thing. He hasn't been yet, but he's sort of taking a few chances. Alex on Mendy, again, not the most skillful footballer, but is always going to do a job for you. So I, I think they're... they're, they're they're a welcome team to league out. I just think that they're a nice club. They do things um, a, de- a decent way. And I think maybe the fact that we sort of ignored them a little bit is probably a compliment to them because at the start of the season, you would definitely have expected them to be battling against the drop. And the fact that they sort of relatively unnoticed found themselves um, kind of mid mid table. I think it's probably a um, a testament to 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 how well they've done. Even if um, you know they're they're not necessarily ever going to get headlines with with um, you know big wins against the top teams or anything like that. I think um, 
they'll give every club a good game and um i just i like their attitude is kind of um no inferiority complex and and you know keep playing the football that got them promoted last year and um yeah so far it stood them in good stead i was thinking about this earlier when i was i was looking at brest and whatnot and I don't know if it's fair, but I was comparing them to, to Nîmes and Rams last season, who are the two promoted sides. And Nîmes especially, but also Rams when you start to look at it, have, you know, they're known for being, in recent years, like youth factories. Nîmes have got the youngest team in in France, like for minutes played, just youngest players. They've got so many guys that end up getting developed and sold, and Andre's had a lot of success for that in the last few years. Whereas Brest aren't equipped in the same way as Neiman Neiman Rams, Neiman Rams who just like played kids and it just worked. Brest have been relying on players a little bit older, like Chabonnier and, and Coeur, who's 30, Lasna is uh, 31, Otrey's 29. They're not as just they're not a team that's just loads of 12 year olds on a pitch, but they still get it done. Do you think in the long term for Brest or, or medium to long term? that'll have an effect on the team as opposed to Neiman Rams who for the most part have managed to kind of stabilise themselves Neiman less so but Rams very well so uh, how do you see their kind of medium term time going do you think it'll be like second syndrome uh, second season syndrome for them next year or do you think because they've got you know a solid experienced manager in Olivia Deloglio they'll end up doing alright in the long term I think a lot depends on on what they do in 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 the summer. Um, you know, if they if they do sell Diallo or even Lassana, if they if they can get good money for them and then invest it well, uh, I think the important thing is kind of don't be tempted to to buy one star name when you can sort of you know invest the money on on a, a few decent players that will kind of fit various positions within the squad. Then I, there's no reason why they 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 can't sort of remain in league. As you said, I think Delolio is a really good manager um, who has got league experience as well. Um, I still, you know, I still wouldn't expect them to be pushing for for Europe or anything like that. But um, I think if they carry on what they're doing, they 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 can still they're still capable of um, avoiding avoiding relegation and, and trying to build some foundations um you know by by managing to stay in Liga for for a few seasons now but they do need to watch they've only won one game in their last seven do you think there's do you think they've almost thought oh like we're already safe but they've still got that looming relegation sitting over them I think they've got six points between uh the the relegation playoff spot yeah so they're in 34 points and uh, Nîmes are in 27 so 7 points but you know they've not been in, in the best form lately they still need to keep their heads screwed on don't they they do but I, just, I can't see enough of the teams below them getting the, the points needed to, to to overtake them I think it would be quite shocking if they if they managed to slip down between now and the end of the season mm. absolutely and uh, let's move on to their opponents for this one Lille who currently sit to 4th at the moment, they're keeping up that chase for third place spot, sitting just behind Wren, who are a point ahead of them. Clinton, they lost a, a really pivotal match a couple of weeks ago against Marseille, losing 2-1. I think Benedetto got a double, didn't he? But since then, they've bounced back. Three wins on the trot. They beat Leon in their last game with a, with a 
really tremendous performance in parts. Do you think they've still almost got more quality in their team than Wren to achieve that third spot place, uh, Clint? Yeah, I think that they have more about them than Ron. And I, I, I have them as favourites for that um, last Champions League spot. I think that they they have more about them generally. They have I think they have more quality around the entire squad and they have more X Factor players. Simen, Remy, Ikone, those guys, Renato Sanchez, those guys, I think they, they are they are the kind of players that can turn up for Lille when even even when they are not playing well and it doesn't look like they're going to get anything out of the game. Um so I think that's the edge they have. And I think also um Gauti is 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 someone that can get his team to put together a string of wins like that in the in the um towards the end of the season when things get really, really um tough and the pressure is on. And I think also Lille have more than more experience in this kind of running than than run and that could play a part. So um I think they do. I think they do. I actually expect them to overtake run very soon and probably um take take that spot, that final final spot. And do you think um Lille have been unlucky with their injuries in a way. You know, this is a team that in the summer lost Pepe, Mendes and Yusuf Kone, the players they kind of expected almost to lose. And the players, um, Yusitsi and Wea, who came in to replace a lot of that, they've both came in but got really bad injuries. Wea's hardly played 90 minutes, I don't think, and Yusitsi, as soon as he started to get into his stride, had a really bad injury as well. But they've still shown quality. So does that lead you to believe that there's another gear in this Lille side that, that if they hadn't had those issues and Yuzitsi had continued the stride and the form that he'd had, they could have finished second this season? Do you think that those injuries have, have really held them back? Yeah, definitely. I think um, that's played a, a huge part. Um, I'd reckon that they would probably be maybe 10 points better now if they didn't have to deal with all those injuries. But then again, every team has those. Every team has... Um, injury problems from from I mean Leon lost two players in one day to ACL injuries so everyone can complain that they've had injuries but what I think Lille have done well this season is they've been very strong at home 11 wins out of 15 so far and that's helped them they've made sure that their home has been pretty much a fortress and it has kind of helped them out um, to stay stay where they are, up there on, on top of the table, close to the top of the table anyway. So, um, yeah, they, they, they really suffered with um, Weir's injury and then Yazichi because I think that they, they probably were counting on those two signings to really, you know, get them over the edge sometimes. But ultimately, I think they've, they've done well without those players in so many of their games and they've been able to, well, be decent enough, but they still have that away, away record that poverty record to worry about. Um, but ultimately, uh, I think the entire squad, they just have something about them that just keeps them going. I mean, you'd have expected that they would, they would be very deflated after that defeat to, to Marseille when they were just coming into some really good form. But they bounced back from it really fast and they won three games on shots without conceding goals. I mean, and two of those games were really difficult games, going away to Nantes and and being home against Lyon, and they were able to get through those without even considering a goal. So I think that at the current time, um, 
they need Timoch showing a lot of character to be able to you know, deal with adversity. And there's just something about them, some extra extra bit about them that just keeps them going. And I think that's what's going to carry them to the end of the season. Mm. And just before we go into the score predictions, Clinton, something's got to be said for Loic Remy. Come on, the man was on loan at Las Palmas, Hetafe, uh, Crystal Palace, Queen's Park Rangers. He's 33, he scored seven goals this season, crucial goals as well. The one against Lyon, obviously, uh, obviously last week being a crucial one, but something's got to be said for him. You know, he's, he's come up big when young Asim Hen hasn't had that consistency, you know. Yeah, 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 I've been very, very surprised because honestly... Since about two years ago, I've just completely written off Remy as pretty much finished. And somehow, 2020, he's just coming with some fire. Um, he's had about six goals this year, six six goals this year already. And he's just he's just popping up when you really need him and when the cement is not able to deliver. He's just been there. And it's like his like throwback at this point, like old Remy or something. And some of the goals he scores, I mean... From outside the box, he's hitting shots and they're going in and things like that. I think it's it's been very impressive and very good to see from him. Um, at the time when you thought these were going to struggle because of maybe poor form or some player out or some injury or something, he's been able to come up big for them and just help them out, you know, out of tough situations. So big props to him. I've been very surprised. It's not every time I, I, I consider a player finished that the player somehow comes back. I think the only player I ever considered finished that always comes out to prove me wrong is Ronaldo. <laughs> Apart from that, I mean, it's <laughs> happening with Remy now and it's just so strange. But uh, it's, it's wonderful, I think, and he must be overjoyed to have that. Yeah, I know, because he was definitely probably like a... You know, is a wee bit like like Jimmy Briand came back into form a few, a few months ago. Everyone was thinking, yeah. like, he was just supposed to sit on the bench, man. He's not supposed to be scoring, was this about? <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> Uh, okay, let's get your score predictions for this one. Brest versus Lille. This one is going to be at Brest, who sit 14th against Champions League chasing Lille. Clinton, I'll start with you. What's your score predictions for this one? Ah, okay. This is this is a tough one to call, but um, I say Lille probably win, maybe two one. Um, I think one important thing is that the game will probably played behind closed doors. So if that happens, because Brest really, really, really um rely a lot on their fans. So if if that game is played behind closed doors as expected, then um, I'd expect Lille to win that because that completely takes away a lot of the advantage that um, Brest have. So I'd say Lille probably win 2-0. Right. Uh, Thomas, what about you? Uh, I probably agree with Clinton. I'll go, uh, I'll go 2-1 Lille. Right. And Jeremy, how do you see it finishing? I was going to go with exactly the same score as well. <laughs> And uh, Jeremy, I've got a, a special prediction just for you. Do you see the match happening or do you think it's all just going to get called off? Uh, I do not see the match happening. You think it'll just get all chopped off? Who's playing tomorrow? Is it Leon tomorrow? Leo the Friday game? Uh, yeah, Leon Ras. Oh, that's going to be insane. Yeah, I know. That's a good game. I think Ram's could 
could swing that one actually. Um, oh, nutty! A lot could happen this weekend. It could be the the first football this weekend, or or one of many to come. Um, yeah. The Premier League's meant to be going ahead, but Arteta's just been diagnosed with coronavirus. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, that's a joke. Wow, okay. My God. And Dybala. So, uh, everyone's just dead. Everyone's just literally dead, but they're still bloody playing the league. It's insane that they're carrying on with it here. It's such typical English arrogance. It's irresponsible. Yeah, I was having a rant to my dad about this <laughs> before we came on the pod. <laughs> hey, don't chat about uh, English arrogance. It's happening up here as well. <clears throat> this weekend, uh, all the games are are going ahead. Absolutely fine. D- tonight, uh, Rangers played Leverkusen. 50,000 at Ibrox. No one bats an eye. Uh, this weekend, you're going to have the Old Firm at, I don't know if it's Ibrox or Celtic Park, but you're going to have 50,000, 60,000 at that game. Gotcha. Everyone out in pubs watching it and stuff. Uh, absolutely fine. But then, Monday morning, everyone's just expecting the announcement to come out. This weekend will be uh, played behind closed doors. We're not having any. So you can have 50,000 on a Sunday, but you can't have bloody... Two fans on a Monday. They're only doing it because they know the old firm's happening, and then they'll just put in all the all the parameters. It's absolutely insane. It's insane. Oh, what a time we live in. Uh, okay, thank you very much for joining. Oh my god, I've just had a notification up there. Michael Arteta uh, test positive. What the hell? Uh, geez, oh, what's happening? Uh, okay, thanks, gents, for joining me. That, the least, the least it means Brighton might not lose to Arsenal this. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> it's true. I mean, I'm saying the same for Hamilton uh, okay that wraps us up if you're looking for more information on all things French and football you can go to getfootballnewsfrance.com you can also find us on Twitter at GFFN and also check out the periodical that's been brought out by Get Football called The Modern Footballer it's 100 pages, 40,000 words, all about emerging talents and player profiles and rounding up major stories about a lot of the major clubs around Europe. It's been created in collaboration by Get French Football News, German Football News, Italian and Spanish. It's a really good package. Check out on the website getfootballnewsfrance.com. Uh, okay, that wraps us up. Hopefully we'll have a, a or maybe not, hopefully. Potentially we may have a weekend of football coming. I don't know. Maybe this completely this podcast past the half hour mark is completely pointless, but we'll we're still we're still to see. Uh, Clinton, Jeremy, Thomas, thank you for joining. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Uh, and enjoy your weekend, football or not. I'll see you next week. <laughs>